Hey everybody, before we get started, I wanted to bring your attention to uh, my best friend Dan has a cat named Skeeter who has FIP, um, which is a, a very uh, uh, upsetting disease for your cat to have. And he's trying to raise money for the exper experimental drugs for it that are quite expensive. Um, so if you go to bit.ly forward slash save Skeeter, that's bit.ly forward slash S-A-V-E-S-K-E-E-T-E-R, you can help raise money um, to, for them to pay for their cat's medicine uh, to keep uh, keep her alive. So um, it would really mean a great deal to me if you did that. So please check that out, bit.ly forward slash save Skeeter. And now on with the show. I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. year is 1968, the album, an album of political pornography. The group Lou Irwin and the Credibility Gap, and my guest this week is Lou Irwin. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, so this is an album I've had sitting in the collection for a long time, and for those who are not aware, as we were discussing a moment ago, who the Credibility Gap was in 1968 was very different from who they were even a couple years after, or even a year after. Um, I'd like to talk a week after, actually, even a week after. Okay, <laughs> let's, we made a lot of changes. Let's talk about your career and then what led to you to to the making of this album and the group that you that, that gathered to become the first iteration of the Credibility Gap. Okay, what would you like to know? Well, I'd like to know. Uh, you know, you're a journalist, uh, but what got you? made you want to start a, a satirical group and do comedy at all? Well, I started in 1955 in radio doing traditional newscasts or semi-traditional newscasts. Uh, you know, speaking like newscasters used to speak back then with this big booming voice, you know, the voice of God, <laughs> that sort of thing. And I did that uh, for uh, on, on television and on uh, radio for a number of years. I started in television in 1956 on Channel 9 in Los Angeles. I moved to Channel 7 uh, a year later as the first anchor on that uh, on the ABC uh, station here. Um, but I worked in radio, well, pretty pretty consistently during all of that. Okay. Time, uh, from 1956 until 1964. Mm -hmm. And I went to New York and I saw Second City in New York uh, while I was there. I, went, I, I worked at WCBS-TV on a show called Ion New York. And while I was there, I went to uh, Greenwich Village and I saw the, uh, the Second City, the, the Chicago group uh, performing there. And they were doing topical satire. Mm -hmm. And about the, a couple of years later, there was a television show called That Was the Week That Was. Yeah. That was uh, uh, hosted by... Uh, Frost, David Frost, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that gave me the idea of including topical satire with the news. And I was working at KRLA in Los Angeles uh, a few years later, beginning in 1965, and had conversations with the manager there, 
for ages. Yeah. And ultimately convinced him that it would be a great idea to do a newscast that would include topical satire and topical music with the news that would be on a deal for a rock and roll radio station. So that's how it came about. Wow. That, I mean, it, it, it's interesting that, uh, you know, <laughs> that it, obviously the idea has to come from from somewhere. Um, but yeah, rarely do you ever get to hear it from one of the people who, who got to be one of the early uh, creators of, of that kind of work. Were, during this period, was, did you ever have any run-ins with Peter Bergman or any of the other Firesign Theater guys just because of the KRLA connection? Well, yes. Uh, they did the commercials on <laughs> credibility cap for... A while and then later on um bergman and uh what is the other maybe osman possibly or no. phil proctor phil proctor bergman mm-hmm. and proctor uh did uh comedy sketches on a show that i produced for syndication on radio called hot news and i did uh some work on one of their albums on osman's album i think Oh, wow. And got I, it. And, I, mean, I don't remember what I did, but I, he gave me credit on it. And I, I know I was on it. That's all. I love it. That's uh, do, Now I'm going to have to look that up because, uh, as usual, the Internet has failed me there. Oh, you know what? I, I won't bother looking it up. I'll ask my friend who is their their uh, their archivist. And the second I mention your name, he'll be like, yes, of course I knew that. Here's exactly where you can find Lou Irwin. I'm sure he will know. So you OK, so you start that. And then what was the general format of what you were doing of, of the your first foray into comedy and news? Well, I mean, it, it, First of all, I didn't want to do a show that was strictly funny news. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do, uh, you know, good investigative report reports that they couldn't get, that especially kids couldn't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wanted to use comedy as um, social satire, uh, as a, a, a kind of editorial cartoon, mm-hmm. if you will audio editorial cartoon and and that hadn't been done on radio before and we were doing three uh, different 15-minute newscasts every day uh, that were repeated later on in the day but with uh, different news content Mm -hmm. and it really worked Uh, the news programs on KRLA were the high the the news hours on KRLA were the highest rated on the station which was Incredible for a rock and roll radio station. Uh-huh. Uh, that never happened. Uh, I don't think that it's ever happened on any music uh, station where the news got better ratings than the music. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a testament, obviously, to, to knowing your audience, but not just knowing your audience, knowing the, there's a whole generation of people who needed this, seemingly, seemingly needed this version of the news they needed some sort of outlet do you can you could you tell well what was it i was going to ask could you tell what it was sort of activating in them and what or what uh, need it was meeting but what need was it meeting for you why was it was there pent-up anger aggression stress over what was it that it you were uh, exercising creativity you know I, yeah. I, gave me a, a great chance to uh to do things i wouldn't ordinarily be able to do and uh, I, don't, I just loved working with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, we, uh, as I said, we changed constantly. 
Yeah. Um, we ch change staff constantly. I really wanted to start out uh, with using some of the guys who were in Second City. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't afford it uh, initially. It, not because of how much we would have to pay them, but be, how much we would have to pay severance fees for the guys who were already working at KRLA. Yeah. So we started out working with the guys who were working at KRLA, except that I fired the sportscaster and uh, brought in Len Chandler to do the music mm -hmm. uh, on, on those shows. And he wrote a song, three songs a day for over a year. That's over a thousand songs in oh a year. Oh my God. And some of the stuff was really brilliant. And uh, most of it was. And, you know, I could also say, so far as the comedy was concerned, most of that was very funny. Sometimes sure. we just bombed, but, but the audience stayed with us. Uh, you know, if, if we did stuff that was just mediocre, they would come back, you know, three hours later for the next newscast, and, and hopefully we would have something that would be, um, uh, you know, right on. Wow. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's a, how much of this stuff survives, if any of it? Like, how much of that... Is is it archived somewhere, or do I want to know? I, I wish I knew where the where the tapes were. Oh, um, I, I left the station in a huff uh, <laughs> a year later. The the program director and the general manager went to work for the Smothers Brothers Company. Oh wow! And left me uh, in the hands of a couple of guys who, you know, they wanted to cut everything, uh, cut costs. And uh, it was, you know, I, I, I was really frustrated with uh, having to come to work every day and work under those conditions. Yeah. And finally, they said that I had to cut all of the, the little people. They just wanted me to do the comedy stuff. Oh, wow. And uh, okay. I had to cut all the reporters, the field reporters. And uh, I just left. Yeah. I mean, it's especially if you're used to having this kind of creative freedom, how else are you supposed to feel except like, well, I, I've got to be able to do it my way, especially something like this, which I feel is important. Mm -hmm. um, how much so at that point, when once you left, who and what was the group who, who were still a part of the credibility? It was I mean, obviously yourself. Len Chandler, and there are some other folks, but uh, on, on the record. And uh, Bob Goodwin. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, Harry Shearer and, and Richard Beebe were there at the time that I left. Richard mm -hmm. had been there for 22 years or something like that at KRLA. He, okay. he started there at, uh, at KRLA when KRLA became a music station. Okay. Um, so he, they, they would have had to pay him a lot if he came with me. I wanted to try to syndicate uh, the credibility gap and made a deal with Metro Media. That just didn't work out. We supplied them with uh, comedy bits and uh, Lens music, and they were going to include that in their own newscasts, mm -hmm. except that the newscasters didn't want any part of that mm -hmm. and they made it sound really bad <laughs> we, we started on on a local station KLA, K, klic i think 
Um, but it, it, at any rate, it was just bad. And I knew that we were in trouble, that we weren't going to be able to get these on other Metro Media stations if, uh, if I didn't have control of the whole program. Mm-hmm. Is this now? Is so, this does this record have anything from any actual broadcast, or is this like your attempt at condensing 1968 into a record as a separate project? No, we, these the, the idea for the album came from Blue Thumb Records, okay. and we were going to do an album that would come out prior to the election of 1968. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work out so well. Uh, we, we recorded the album, but it sat for, I don't know, a couple of months before they could get distribution. Oh, wow. Okay. And it came out after the election, which uh, wow. had, okay. it's, took its toll on, on sales. Uh, but the idea, we started... Uh, on KRLA doing the credibility gap on the day before the primary election in 1968. Okay. And I had, uh, at that time, uh, an actuality news service that I said sold to uh, a print service, city news service, uh, just a couple of months earlier, uh, just so that I could do the credibility gap. I couldn't operate that news service and do the uh, the gap at the same time. So we started the day before the primary election in California. I still at that time had just completed uh, work for the Kennedy campaign using the same equipment that we had used for uh, the uh, for uh, the uh, actuality actuality service, mm-hmm. and uh, we were feeding the uh, uh, excerpts from Kennedy's speeches in Oregon and California to stations in Oregon and California. And the night before the election, or the night of the election, I was, I had just edited his victory speech in California, handed it to the, uh, the girl who was feeding the stations and was going over to the Ambassador Hotel to uh, try to get the business for the national election, mm-hmm. assuming that Kennedy was going to be the candidate. Mm-hmm. And I was just going out the door of KRLA when the girl came running up out the, the door and, and said, Lou, he's been shot. Oof. And it was uh, an interesting evening. Uh-huh. Uh, Len composed like six different songs that we ran uh, that night. And I did, uh, you know, the the news stories connected with uh, his assassination, Kennedy's assassination. Mm -hmm. It was an all night job and it was, Len did some wonderful work. Yeah. Uh, And uh, we proceeded from there to do maybe a couple of months of uh of shows and blue thumb came and proposed that we do a a a political show that we released just before the election Mm -hmm. and i jumped on the chance and we we had the scripts already uh written so we went to a recording studio picked out a few scripts uh recorded them lended some songs uh 
it was a very fast job. I think we did the, did all of it in a few hours. Oh my god! And uh, wow. it was uh, yeah, and that and that was the uh, the genesis of the, that album you have. Holy cow! There there are a number of things on the record that have always that I've wanted obviously had questions about, but <clears throat> there are some uh, some. Uh, some Vox recordings that I'm assuming are acted out, but a couple of them sound so real that I, I have questioned them ever since. Are any of them real on the street interviews? Or are they all acted? Oh, there are no, no actors. I've, no I've actors. never used actors. Wow. No. Well, okay. I mean, I, the comedy bits are uh, sure. obviously are actors, but no, all of those people were, uh, I had a, a, a guy in Chicago uh, recording a uh, man of the street stuff oh. uh, at, at the conventions. Yeah. Holy cow. Okay. So that, that's what, that's what threw me. Cause some of the, they are such characters. The choice to include them is so strong where it's like, these can't be real. There are a couple where I'm like, they cannot, but all right, that is good to know. I love, I love hearing that. That's <laughs> it's, it's not, I can only think of like maybe Mal Sharp, maybe some other people at the time would have, or around that time would have <laughs> had that kind of stuff on their records, but this is the only other time because obviously this has got the, it's news centric. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the back and I have to ask, three of you are not wearing your shirts in this and it's a fantastic photo. I love it so much. Whose idea was this back photo? <laughs> well, the idea was uh, we're, we're, we're producing an album of pornography. Fair, fair. <laughs> Yeah, uh, somebody who 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 didn't want to wear, uh, didn't want to take off their shirts. I can't remember. Uh, oh yeah, okay. So Lynn is in the middle. That's uh, Richard Beebe behind me. Richard Beebe's behind uh, you. Okay. Yeah, uh, John Gilliland and Lynn didn't want to take off their shirts. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Fair yeah. enough. Now, who's the cover? I have never known who the cover image is. Of. I have no. I don't know. I you don't no know. Idea. No. Oh my God! That was Blue Sun's creation. That's um, <laughs> that's hilarious. What do you know? What their interest was? Because I mean, if I look at their discography up to that point, it's not entirely this, but it's a lot of Ike and Tina Turner. So, what were they going into comedy, or what had they done some comedy to your knowledge? No, this this was one of I, their first. They they had three albums out. Mm -hmm. uh, to they de debut with, with three albums. I told you that the, uh, they had problems uh, getting distribution. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I know that we were one, and then there was uh, Beef Art. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then I can't remember the third. But they had they were just. We were one of the first three albums on Bluthen, so I, okay. What they did afterwards, uh, I'm, I'm not at all familiar with. That's crazy. Okay, all right. So they 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 were just trying their hand at a little bit of everything. I I love that. Um, cover body painting by David Greenberg. Yes, but who is the man in the cover? That's what your album. You're not telling me anything. Um, I love that. Do. You, Okay, so that quick of a turnaround, I mean, it, maybe that's not unusual, maybe, but it, it sounds, it's got a great sound to it. 
Um, it, it's produced in, in, you know, in a very, uh, it envelops you with a lot of the music of the time. It is a lot of times when we'll have somebody come on here and talk about an album they love, they'll be like, it's a perfect snapshot of the time. This is a snapshot of literally a, a single day in terms of like everything is built up to this in, in, in 1968. But as of this one particular day, this is everything that had happened. This is kind of your concept of the world. This is uh, so much, there's so much talk. Most of it is, no, all of it is still relevant. Um, uh, maybe only dated in in uh, a, a couple bits of terminology, but there's so much about violence, gun violence specifically. Um, it does, it also does ring of uh, some of my other favorite stuff of the era, specifically the Smothers Brothers. Um, there's some just real, you take some very hard stances uh, understandably, uh, on things like gun violence and stuff. What, how quickly did you turn around any of those scripts or were they just sort of feverishly written? Uh, I'm, I'm curious what your process was for writing this stuff. Well, we, <laughs> we did, uh, uh, comedy bits off the, uh, you know, as, as I say, three times a day, they were all yeah. scripted. Nothing was improvised. Yeah, uh, we worked to the last minute before airtime, and many times there were situations where the show, the first part of the show, was already on the air, and we were still recording the second part of the show. We uh, we worked out a relay plan to toss the tapes down the stairway. Uh, to uh, someone who would catch it at the bottom of the stairway and rush it into the engineer's booth. So, and we never had dead air. <laughs> oh, my God. And this yeah, is, again, I'll remind people, huge. this is when you had to cut physical tape, so it's no small feat to make this stuff happen. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Did you... What was your What was your feeling on completion of this record because it's different when you do a day-to-day -day thing something that is ephemeral something that is hopefully not lost to time but as far as you knew nobody's going to necessarily hear this stuff again but you do finally get a record that at least plants a little bit of it solidly in history this will be stuff people can look back on how did you feel about this record when it was finished even though it got released way too late oh i i was pleased with it mm -hmm. I, I thought we had some really good stuff on there I, I especially love the uh, the parody of uh, Oral Roberts uh, and the, uh, the the challenge that uh, this guy in Africa, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, had um, <laughs> he, he had challenged him to a, a faith healing contest. Right. Yeah. Who could? <laughs> I, I thought that was probably the most absurd thing that had happened during that that time it did not really relate to political anything mm -hmm. but i thought we just had to get that in <laughs> i mean but that's now, a... i understand that, that the people at that time really were familiar with how wrestling was broadcast and we sure. did this as a you know the, the, using the typical phraseology of these refs, wrestling announcers and it was, I thought, hysterical. Anybody over the age of uh, 60 today and re who remembers those uh, wrestling shows mm -hmm. will relate to that bit. 
It's great. I mean, there that is one of the things that I think holds up best because, again, if, you know, anything that reminds you of what the hell is still going on, uh, you know, even though we don't think of faith healing in the same way, I guess, maybe, maybe it's not, I don't know, but I, I don't know. I love it. I, in terms of, you know, I feel like we've seen since stuff like this, seen this stuff get over satirized, but this is, that is one of, that is one of my favorite bits on that subject matter in general. Um, I, it's, it's, it's really brilliant. Um, I'm just trying to, th oh, you know what? Let me pull the actual record because then I can have the track listing in front of me. Because um, there's not a track listing on the record itself, or on the uh, on the sleeve. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's so so so. Much. I mean, did you did you have any reservations about? I mean, it doesn't sound like you did, but I mean, doing people. We see this happen a lot. Uh, when 9/11 happened uh, early on in COVID, there's always the political tragedy happens. Big g real legitimate tragedy happens and then comedians or people who do satire question their very existence and whether or not they should keep doing satire but it sounds like you just kept pounding the pavement even after you know hope seemed dead after rfk is assassinated did you have any thoughts of should we stop or is it just keep moving because what we're doing is important no i've never had any reluctance uh, at all to continue doing that mm -hmm. uh you know I, I I did have some reservations about uh, some of Harry Shearer's uh, contributions mm -hmm. because I thought they were too he heavy-handed. Okay. But um, uh, other than that, I got along fine with everybody. Mm -hmm. I was able to uh, e eventually use Second City people on the show, mm -hmm. and I. And I had uh, a wonderful working relationship with Severn Darden and Avery Schreiber mm -hmm. and Jack Burns. And they contributed some wonderful stuff to the show. As a matter of fact, after uh, I left uh, KRLA, I did a, a half hour weekly show on KCET, the uh, the, the public television station in Los Angeles called the Musical Muse, and those guys worked with us and and, and lended some wonderful stuff. I, I I was really pleased with that. We I do have a couple of clips that I might be able to uh, send along to you from oh, that wow. show. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I would love to see that. Were they so? These are people who were Second City. I mean, obviously, I, I know Burns and Schreiber and Severn Darden. Were they had they already then transplanted to L.A. to do all this uh, to to work with you, or were they? Uh, do you know? All of them, I think, uh, moved out here uh, just about the same time. Okay, I brought Len out mm -hmm. uh, to to do the credibility gap, but uh, but. Uh, I think Severn and Avery were already here. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure, but I think I think that they were already in LA. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I oh my goodness, I would love to see if you do have anything that's sitting around. I would love to see that. Um, I wish we had some of, of their sh their uh, credibility gap shows. Sure, yeah. Maybe, I, I I wish I had any of those shows. Uh -huh. Period. I think I found. Now, somebody sent me a recording of one show that was kind of typical uh -huh. and uh, 
And, you know, it was not one of those shows where uh, everybody is uh, at their peak. Sure. Uh, but it was, you know, it was it was typical. And I think I've got a recording of that that I could uh, send on to you. Oh, my goodness. I, I yeah, I, I mean, I w- that would be fantastic. I, it's because, like... When you hear, especially there are certain groups that, uh, well, it, there's this weird situation here. Exactly what we're talking about is that once the group changes and the credibility gap becomes considerably a different group, they become their own thing and then evolve slightly into something else, even on the third album, even though they're the same people, it's a totally different sounding album. So is it, <laughs> the credibility gap has become this very weird evolutionary system. Uh, we have more evidence of the work done by the later group than we do, obviously, the, the, the progenitor of it. And that's hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of stuff that um, I would imagine most survives because of fans. I will bet there are other fans. I know that Firesign has found that. Sometimes if they don't have something, their fans have recorded it, you know, 40 years ago off the radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Ugh. You've got to understand that originally the credibility gap was not a group. Right. Okay. It was a show. Just a show, yes. And, and that's uh, fair, yeah. And, and we made a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. The main reason was that uh, people burned out. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do this kind of stuff day yeah. in and day out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, Richard Beebe was the only one who uh, stayed with the, with the uh, show for the entire time that I was there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you think that was just because he was used to the radio grind or do you, do you have any? I think so. Yeah. 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 None of the other people had worked, had ever worked in radio before. Right. Uh, David Lander, who went on to be Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley. Mm -hmm. uh, He, he worked with us for a long time, but before uh, he started, he was working on on a phone service, you know, an answering service. Wow. And uh, somebody called and said, God, this guy is really funny. You should try to use him on the air. <laughs> and uh, we did. And he's, he lasted a long time on the show and, and continued with the, uh, with the group mm-hmm. after the show went off the air. Well, let's talk about Len Chandler's contribution. And how, did you know of him already as a as a as a singer? Did you uh, run into him in New York when you were watching the second scene? In 1965, I did a documentary called "What Will the Harvest Be" mm-hmm. uh, for for ABC, and uh, Len did the incidental music for it. It was about the birth of the Black Panther Party. Oh wow! Which was a little. Uh, which con- was considerably different from the Black Panther Party that emerged in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was a, an offshoot of the Student Nonviolent uh, Coordinating Committee, SNCC, and uh, they were organizing in um, a county in Alabama, I can't think of it, Lowndes County, Alabama, uh, a, a, a get-out-the-vote uh campaign there. Uh, a woman, Viola Liliutsu, who was working for SNCC at that time, was murdered by mm-hmm. the Klan just a few months earlier. So I went down there uh, to do this uh, documentary about Black Panther Party. This, if you, you might remember the name Stokely Carmichael. Yeah. Stokely was a member of SNCC at that time, and he was the one uh, who uh, instigated this uh, Get Out the Vote campaign in Lowndes County. 
And uh, I did a half hour documentary and lended the music for it, the incidental music for it. And it was brilliant. Uh, I, I told him about the scenes that we were going to use. Uh, I was staying in a motel at the time with a cameraman. Uh, Len would go into the bathroom with his typewriter and guitar and turn out uh, the uh, songs that we used. Wow. <laughs> it was, uh, he, he, and, and all of this uh, was done within a few hours. And I thought if he could do this in a few hours uh, for us, he could do stuff, uh, he could do uh, topical satire for our program. Yeah. And as I said, a thousand songs in a year. Oh. Wow, this sort of run and gun gorilla thing uh, is, it, it came up again recently on something else that I was talking about, but the, to be able to <clears throat> not just execute anything, but to execute something that ends up being funny or at least poignant, but also usually punny, funny and poignant is uh, remarkable. And that you got a guy who, I, I don't know enough about Len's training as a musician. I know of his music, of course, and I know part of the movements that he was a part of. But I, I would be curious to know what gave him that kind of, I mean, he just sounds like he was just ridiculously prolific. That's, that's, I can't wrap my head around writing songs that quick at all. Yeah. Wow. Not an amazing talent. Most talented man I've ever met. Yeah. He's yeah. still a good friend. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. And uh, it, it, it is, the music is a huge part of this record too. I, it's a very environmentally full uh, record. There's no space wasted. There's always some music. There's always something going on to keep your attention and keep your, your emotions tied into what's happening on the record. Um, did you, uh, after the credibility gap, what's your history with comedy? Have you done other comedy stuff? You did the show, you did the TV show that you mentioned. No, I, I did, uh, a syndicated radio show called earth news radio for 14 years. Uh -huh. And I use, I, I, I interviewed a lot of comedians, uh, during that time. Some were funny, some were not the, probably the, funniest interview I've ever done was one with Peter Sellers before that was part of the goons mm -hmm. and they did uh, you know topical satire in England sure um, but it was it was an hysterical uh, interview I did part of the uh, the interview with him as Inspector Cluso oh my god and really? it, yeah I mean he was willing to uh, play it was uh, I said, Inspector, I understand that uh, you've become a great expert at karate. And he says, oh, no, 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 it's not karate. It's the Israeli art of judo. He said, we get the leverage from the nose. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, he was so funny. Uh, he, he talked about the, uh, the initial... Uh, controversy of the goon show and uh -huh. how the BBC reacted to it. Uh -huh. And he he did a an impersonation of the members of the BBC all meeting together uh, uh, over this show. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, what is this, uh, this uh, go on show? <laughs> <laughs> go on. I love it. 
Oh, that's so good. Wow, that's remarkable. I there are I, I did look at the list of people that you have interviewed, and obviously, outside of comedians, we're talking, how, I don't know how many presidents that you interviewed, but going back to Truman, did I see Truman on there? On that list? Oh, yeah. Truman was... Truman was a great interview. Yeah. I mean, not, I didn't interview him when he was president. I sure, sure. Not that old. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, I many times, as a matter of fact, Truman gave me a great interview when I was doing a, a uh, series about the Hollywood blacklist. Mm-hmm. And uh, my interview with him ended up on the, the headline in, in Variety. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And I knew Jack Kennedy pretty pretty well. I interviewed him a couple of times and then uh, talked to him uh, about, I told him that I was doing, wor- working with uh, Desi Lu on this documentary series and uh, that they might be interested in a series based on his book, Profi- Profiles and Courage. Uh-huh. And he was interested and we worked together on putting it together a presentation. Nothing came of it. But I got to know him pretty well. Mm-hmm. He used to take him to the airport regularly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, and he gave me a really good uh, 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 scoop during the campaign. It, didn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, anything earth-shaking. But, but he came into L.A. and, and uh, I met him at the airport. And he said, um, I'm going to announce later on uh, today. And this is... You can only uh, attribute this to a reliable source. You can't tell you, you can't tell uh, anyone who uh, told you this. But I'm going to announce that Jackie is pregnant, and that she's if she has a son, it's going to be the first son, uh, first child ever born uh, to a sitting president. Oh my goodness! And uh, I got that on the air really quickly. <laughs> I bet. Holy cow! Yeah. yeah. That's ridiculous. Did you did you ever? Okay, so there are you may not know, but there are mixed opinions as to what he thought of the first family album. Do you have any idea what he th- actually thought of the first family record? Uh, no, I think he said something that, that uh, to the, to the effect that he thought that he that the, uh, what, what was his name? Uh, Von Meter. Yes. He, he thought that, that he sounded more like Teddy than himself. <laughs> yes, I did hear that. You know what? That's, that's, I mean, that's a man with a sense of humor. Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> had you, um, boy, oh boy, do you think you would have, was there any chance that you would have done other Credibility Gap albums uh, if the group had stayed as what uh, what it was when you put it together? Uh, again, it was a program, obviously, but yeah. I would love to have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Did Did yeah. you? Was there anything? So I know that journalists are usually, you know, one must be impartial as a journalist, et cetera, et cetera. How did you sort of? Did you have any internal be- debate over the fact that you're also doing satire, which is inherently, it, it, it's not necessarily a biased thing, but it is definitely taking jabs, and people people can assume it to be biased. Did, was there ever any? Did you ever feel torn up about be, doing that and being a journalist at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah uh, I, there are times that, that there are many times that I've had this thing of uh, you know is this really uh, a conflict of interest? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sure, uh, I just reading a commercial, I 
Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm blocked at doing that. I don't. I don't. Uh, I think that that's a, a conflict of interest. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. But I mean, there is also the the argument to be made. But hell, I have to stay on the air in order to get this out. And at the very least, you know. I don't know. I, I'm a person who could never be a journalist because I'm way too opinionated. So that's why I'm always so curious when someone who is a journalist either goes into comedy or also does it at the same time as doing journalism is rare. So it's that's it's fascinating to me that, you know, you know, you kept your head above water and could still do both competently. That's remarkable. I don't know how one handles themselves in that. I could never do it, as I said, <laughs> um, growing up. Was there any, what what kind of comedy did you have in the house? What were you listening to? What were the first comedy records in the house, if any? I didn't have any comedy records None. in the okay. house, but I did. I, I, I grew up, uh, radio was part of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, every weekend, uh, I would go to the uh, radio shows that were produced uh, the audience uh, uh, shows uh, that were produced in Hollywood, uh, Jack Benny and Red oh Skelton God. and all of those. I, I Every weekend of my life, I went to those radio really? shows. Oh saw, my God. saw the, the shows to the East Coast uh, in the afternoon, went back and saw the West Coast shows in the evening. Sometimes the, re the dress rehearsals, that they had those. Uh, I did those, did that every weekend when school was... Uh, in session and during summer vacation, I went every day. They were free, you know, great comedy. Yeah. You, you were seeing uh, some great comedy, also some great drama mm -hmm. and live actors on stage uh, and or orchestras on stage. Mm -hmm. It was uh, a great time. Wow. I did that from the time I was 12 years old, uh, pretty much the, to, to the time when I started in radio. Wait, so, okay, now could you, was it just a different time, as they say, and you could just go on your own as a 12-year-old kid, just show up and they'll let you in the audience? Or did you go with your Oh, no, I, I, I sent away for tickets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh. And uh, there were a lot of radio groupies uh, oh. around me in, in those days. Some my age, I met a lot of kids mm -hmm. who went to those shows, you know. Wow. Uh, CBS, the, the age limit was 12 and NBC was 14. Couldn't wait to, till I was 14 so I could go see to the NBC shows. Yeah. But, but about that time, uh, all of the big uh, comedy shows were moving from NBC to CBS. Oh, okay. Okay. When you got, when you got into radio yourself was, uh, can you remember the first person you ever got to speak to or interview who might have been somebody you saw perform as a kid? I'm assuming that must have happened at some point. Like you get to interview a Jack Benny or something. Oh, my God. I, I interviewed so many <laughs> uh, comedians. Sure. I mean, early one. I, I, you know, Jack Benny and uh, and Eddie Cantor and uh -huh. you know, people of that generation. Uh I, I did that when I first started in radio. I wanted to interview those people, mm -hmm. the, the people that I used to go to see. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, as I say, some of those people wanted to be some other than a comedian. They wanted, I, I interviewed Sid Caesar, and he wanted to talk about uh, foreign diplomacy. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Foreign diplomacy. Oh, my <laughs> but, God. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
from what I know of him, though, you're lucky he didn't try and throw you out a window. That's what I understand about Sid Caesar. The man was intimidating and scary and large. That's all I get of him as a younger man. Wow. Yeah, well, I heard, I heard the same rumors about uh, Peter Sellers. Sure. Uh, but <laughs> he was he was great. Just great. When, when Sellers uh, arrived for the interview, he had, he had a, a, a photo album uh, of uh, still photos that w were taken by the, the set photographer uh, for Strange Love. Uh huh. And it turned out that the the guy that that Kubrick had hired to take the uh, photos was a news photog named Ouija, who was famous for uh, doing. Uh, for his coverage of, of murders and oh. uh, you know the, the street uh, photo of uh, street crime, and uh, he was uh, he was telling me about uh, Ouija setting up these fancy setups uh, to capture scenes in the movie. And Kubrick would walk in and say. All right, Ouija, we've got a we, we've got a uh, shoot now. Take that stuff down <laughs> before he could even do anything. God, <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised, I guess. But wow, <laughs> amazing that that, that uh, they, they would use a uh, a news photographer yeah. as a set photographer on uh, on Strange Love. I've never heard of such a thing. That's really funny. Is there, and I, apologies if, if there already is, but is, uh, A, have you written a book about your life? B, are you going to? And C, can I read it? I guess it's... <laughs> I might do that. Yeah. If, if for no, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hardly a household word. Uh, word. I, I can't imagine why anybody would uh, buy a book about Lou Irwin. But I think I might do that just for my kids and sure. my grandkids and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just a, a lot there. I mean, I'm 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 a firm believer that household name or not, you know, I used to I used to be very cynical about the whole idea that everybody has a story until I started digging into some people that I would not have given a crap about a few years before, and then realized, oh, oh, right, I'm just I'm just missing a little bit of context. I think I feel like all you need is context to understand why somebody's story might be of interest. And it's just you've gone all over the place and done a lot of stuff. And I'm I there's probably a billion other things I could ask you about. But I chose to stick to the, you know, the one comedy album you've done. I really wish I knew which which Osman album you were on. I'm going to have to ask them after we're done here and, and just get a little maybe they can send me a clip or something because I would love to know what it was. Um, in what way you were involved? Well, I, I think I, I think all you have to do is Google it. Just Google I was looking, Austin you know. Irwin. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I, I will. I will. Uh, I will dig right after this. Then because well, you know what? I'll do it right now because I'm I'm wondering why because you know why uh, I was looking on Discogs.com, which sometimes is really complete and sometimes is not at all. Um, and oh yeah. Okay. Wait. Hold on. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. It's how time flies. Okay. Yeah. Which is his 1973 record which is one that I own but have not heard yet. I apologize to David, a uh, friend of the show. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're on here. All right. That's... All right, so we've got... Oh, my goodness. There's a lot of people listed on here, including uh, yourself, uh, including uh, Harry Shearer, including Phil Austin, and, and all the Fire Sign guys, and Wolfman Jack is on here as well, 
which I I was uh, using Wolfman Jack's uh, newscaster. Really? Yes, for a couple of years, actually. I had no um, idea. K D A Y. I have asked people about this before. I spoke to uh, Mort Krim a few weeks ago. Asked him about like his training in terms of like losing his accent or having a certain voice. I am curious. Did you go through any voice training to get that broadcaster voice you were talking about at the beginning of the episode, or is it something you develop on your own? No, everybody had to talk that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I interviewed Elvis uh, when I was early on. I'm one of the few people who ever interviewed Elvis, mm -hmm. 1956. And I was using that voice uh, back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I interviewed him at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, just walked into his dressing room, set up my, uh, my uh, equipment, uh, and he walked in, did the interview, and I walked out. But I, I, I said during the interview, and I think that this this is on online, so you could find this recording. Mm -hmm. But I said, Mr. Presley, I understand that a city in Northern California has banned your music on the grounds that it contributes to juvenile delinquency. How do you respond to that? And he says, well, I think that's just nonsense. If a person wants to be a juvenile delinquent, he's going to be a juvenile delinquent, even if he reads by the goose. <laughs> I love it. That's, uh, but, and oh, we were the same age, you know. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm like eight months older than, uh, than Elvis. Wow. Oh, when did you? Sorry, I'm always curious about voice work, and and because you literally just did did an impression of how you used to talk, at least professionally. When did you drop it? When did you decide I don't need to do this anymore? This is not how I speak professionally. I think when I saw video of myself <laughs> <laughs> okay you know what that's fair that... yeah, yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous <laughs> but everybody tried to talk that way yeah you no, know, of course that, that, that was a condition of getting hired mm -hmm. Certainly, right. I, I didn't want to use that when i was on krla mm -hmm. but right. uh, I, I, when uh but the other newscasters did i mean just yeah. really boomed out you could hear their voice down the hall that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. My my Which, late father-in-law was a was a DJ in the 60s and the 70s and he not that, you know, he was a DJ but also sort of that basso profundo like he had a big rib cage so he could use it, but it's so funny because that is not the way the man spoke in real life and like it it is very funny to have a voice to put on for the radio in any instance, but especially for news. Uh Wow, that's very funny. To well, me. look at Wolfman. I, I knew sure. him as Bob Smith. You know, uh -huh. I, I never called him Wolfman. But, you know, that, that voice was uh, was put on. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd, he'd get into the studio, smoke a, a joint, and get into his personality. <laughs> Has he? Did he ever do any interviews speaking as himself? I'm now wondering. I don't know if he ever did any interviews speaking just as himself. Oh, I doubt it. Right, yeah. right. I mean, that's... for a long time, uh, you, 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 people didn't know whether he was black or white. You know. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's interesting. Uh, he didn't do interviews at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I think I, I obviously, I, I'm, I'm sure the first time I knew who he was at all was when my parents showed me American Graffiti as a kid. I think it's maybe the only time I learned who uh -huh. he was at all. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. 
what an what an interesting career that guy had too um uh lou i i very much appreciate talking with you uh not just about the record but about your career and i know there's a billion other things i could ask you about but um and i think we've made the argument for why to give this record a listen because it is in in for any of those out there who are interested in the credibility gap this is a very different thing from the other records and worth listening to because it is and i'm going to say what everybody says it's a snapshot of the time but not just a snapshot of the time it's from a single day it was recorded in a single day or at least just a few hours and uh that's remarkable that's not something i think i've i've heard yet on this show where somebody said yeah we recorded the whole thing just like that and um i think it's interesting to listen to with that in mind i'm going to have to re-listen to it with that in mind um do you this will come out in a few weeks uh do you have anything you'd like to promote or tell people about stuff they should look out Mm -hmm. for not really. I wish I had something to promote. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, we'll just pre-promote your book. This is where Lou Irwin's book will go. Um, and if, if it ever happens, we'll happily promote it on the show because I, I want to. Well, you, I, you can promote. Uh, it's, it's hardly comedy, but I did write mm-hmm. a book a couple of years ago uh, about the bombing of the L.A. Times in 1910. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and uh, that's out there. And it's uh, it's worth a read. Yes, please. Le- re- read Lou's book. Um, yeah. and it's called uh, Deadly Times, uh-huh. uh, the 1910 Bombing of the Los Angeles Times, and America's Forgotten Decade of Terror, of, 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 uh, Decade of, well, something. You <laughs> 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 can't remember the name of my own book. I mean, you know, getting old. Uh, here we go. It is <laughs> Deadly Times, the 1910 bombing of the Los Angeles Times, and America's Forgotten Decade of Terror. Oh, you! I'm assuming I can get it on Amazon. I'm betting I'm, I can get yes. it on Amazon. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Pick, pick up that book. Thank you again very much for doing the show. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank, thank you guys, guys for listening. listening. And, and as, as always, always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah!